So 1 John 4, 7 through 12 discusses a couple of things, if you wanted to really break it down, just a couple of things. Well, one thing centrally, love. But love in a couple of ways. He discusses our love for one another and God's love. In fact, this passage is structured in one of those beautiful uh, 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 literary um, techniques. It's that sort of chiasm. It's structured in such a way that the call to love both precedes and follows a focus on the love of God. The talk of God's love is bookended by our love for one another. John does that, I think, deliberately because it highlights something, that this love that we're supposed to have for one another right, is grounded in, is dependent on God's love for us. That's the central sort of position that it holds in this passage, and that's where we'll focus. So if you're able, please stand together for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 7. I think I turned it off. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Father, we come again before you and we pray for both the reading of your word and the preaching of your word that you would use it this morning as only you can. Or we come confessing this morning that we are dependent on you by your spirit to do something with this word, with this ink and paper, with the vibrations that are going through the air into the ears of listeners. We need you to do something with that. We ask that you would give us life, that you would strengthen us, that you would convict us, that you would comfort us as you have planned. Lord, do what only you can do. We ask that your word would not return void this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So this is the first Sunday after Christmas. If you're following the church calendar, it goes, you know, Advent, then Christmas. Yay! 
and then Epiphany, and then Lent, and then Easter, and then all the time after Pentecost, and then back to Advent. I mean, it's a really great cycle because it focuses on the story that should be, well, that does, whether you like it or not, it shapes our lives. So we're still right now in the 12 days of Christmas. Like, that's a thing, right? The 12 days of Christmas. So it's appropriate, I think, that we continue reflecting on the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ. But I want to do that from a particular perspective. I want to do that from the perspective of the Father. If Christmas tells you anything, it tells you this. The Father loves you. Your Father loves you. Your Heavenly Father loves you. And I think 1 John 4, 9, and 10 tells us a few things about the Father's love. I'll just tell you real quick the three things. The Father's love is a revealed love. It's a restoring love, and it's free love. There wasn't an R for free. It's revealed, it's restoring, and it's free. I get the revealed part right out of the gate. Verse 9, John says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. Here, John is telling us how God's love was revealed among us, and it's the Father's love because we see that distinction, right? In this, the love of God was made manifest. God sent his only Son, making that distinction between the Father and the Son. So John is telling us how the Father's love is revealed among us. And we could also say this, that he's telling us that the Father makes it clear that he loves us, and what that love is like. We focus in on that just that little phrase. The Father's love is manif- made manifest among us. It is communicated. It is made known. It is a love that is made known in a clear and objective way. He's certainly done this in the past. We see his clear and objective deeds and his works and his ways. Those are the content of the psalmists and the prophets or the whole Old Testament. Repeatedly they're talking about that. But this revelation is altogether unique and beautiful. The second part, that God sent his only son into the world. It's unique and beautiful because He did not send an angel or a mere man. He sends his only begotten son, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God comes in the flesh. That's important to say, and we couldn't say it enough. It's a really good thing, particularly now, that we keep beating that drum of the Trinity. That our God is triune. He's the second person of the Trinity, the son that comes in the flesh. And this love, it goes way back. It began long before you and I were here. This love that is concretely shown in the Son 
was planned from all eternity. Get that? This love that is revealed in the Son has always been the content of the love of God because all the Father's previous expressions of his love were a shadow of this. They were pointing to this. The revelation of the Father in the Son. John repeatedly referenced the centrality of that revealing work of Christ, of the Son. What could only come through him? I think that Kyle referenced this verse either last week or the week before. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And later on, John, as John the Baptist saying this, all things have been handed over to me, or excuse me, he who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And in Matthew 11, Jesus says this of his mission. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Father has always been about revealing himself through the Son. And in 1 John 4, we get what that Son reveals, that your Father loves you. He reveals this to us. So the Father's love is revealed. It is also, and this is the other part of it, it is a restorative love. First John, excuse me, 1 John 9, in the latter part of the verse, we see that God, the Father, sent his Son so that we might live through him. And then actually in the latter part of verse 10, we see there that the Father sent the Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Two sides of the same coin. We need both of those. God sent his Son so that you might have life through him. He sent his Son so that he might be the propitiation for our sins, for your sins. This is the purpose of that objective, concrete expression of the Father's love. Jesus put it this way in John 6, 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And then here, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. This was the point. The Father gave his Son for your good so that you would have life, real life. I make that distinction, real life, because we know we are physically alive. We know that's not just the point. There is something significant about this life that we have revealed to us by the Father's love. He sends his son to those who don't have life to give life in the gift of his son. 
Paul, I think, talks about the Father's love in this relation in a very clear way. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 4 through 5, you might recall Paul says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's worth reflecting on, right? That 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 was your state. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then verses 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy, and then here's the phrase, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. That was the point, to make us alive. He clarifies this death and life in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And this gets at sort of what real life is. In 2.12, he says of the Gentiles, having no hope, without God in the world. And in 2.13, Paul calls death far off. Those who are far off. Death means being in the world, having no hope, being without God, being far off. Life, being made alive, Paul says, is being brought near. We're cut off from life because we were cut off from the place where life is to be found. That is, in this relationship with the Father. And the Father gives that. Notice that one little part in verse 9. Through Him. Through Him. All of this comes through Him. That is, the Son. Christ. Again, Paul in Ephesians helps here. God showed this great love to, uh, toward us because he, by making us alive in Christ Jesus. And again in 2.13. But now in Christ, those who are brought far off have been brought near. And those have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our relation to the Father True life, real life, it comes through the Son by his perfect life and his atoning work. John Stott, I think, kind of summarizes the significance well. He says, no greater gift of God is conceivable because no greater gift of God is possible. This that is, the giving of his son is God's indescribable gift. The indescribable gift that we have from the Father. Or we can recall what Paul said in Romans 8.32 to really get the punchline of this. Paul says there, and this is an interesting logic, Paul says there, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The love of God, the love of the Father made manifest in the sending of his son is this, that the Father has opened his heart toward you. 
The Father has poured out his affection on you. He has shown you his love, that is, his self-sacrificing, self-giving love. He has given that all to you. You need to hear that today. You do. And I don't know, particularly at the beginning of the year, this is maybe good to reflect on. You need to hear this because you easily forget that your Father loves you. You easily forget that he has shown you his love in the greatest possible way. You forget it. You do. You forget it. Just think about the last time you bit your tongue. Right? Bite your lip. And you will call all of God's goodness into question. I promise. But that's a little thing. That's a little thing. And you face problems that are so much greater. Problems that will blind you. Problems that easily undermine your grasp on this reality that your father loves you. That your father has given you everything. So the father's love is a revealed love. The father's love is a restorative love. The last thing is the father's love is a free love. And we see this in that powerful sentence in the first part of verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Here we see something significant about this self-sacrificing, self-giving love from the Father that is shown by the Father in the sending of his son. I'll read it again. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. I'll read it again. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Once more. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Us. Do you see it? Not that we have loved God. Here's great news. Love is not grounded in you. It does not start with you. It is not dependent on you. but that he loved us. Love is grounded in God. His love, you've got to get this, his love 
was not a response to your love. He loved you first. And this has always been true. Deuteronomy 7, listen to this. 7 verses 6 to 8. Speaking to Israel. That's all it takes. Why do you mock me? That's That's what we do. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You, For you were the fewest of all peoples. And then listen to verse 8. This is the punchline. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. John is just saying what's been said already in the Old Testament. Why does God love you? Why does the Father love you? Because he loves you. No, 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 but I mean, but I mean, why? Because he loves you. No, really, why though? I mean, what's behind that? Him. Him. He loves you. God's love didn't start with you. God's love is free. Right? If that takes you aback for a second, right? Because we're used to this. We're used to talking about love in terms of you somehow delighting in something about the other person. Right? I mean, that's kind of the way this is. And so it can be a little bit hurtful. I mean, I mean, if if your, you know, if your spouse or your or your mother or father says, you know, I love you. I mean, not particularly anything about you. I just love you. We would kind of go, okay, well. You know? I mean, don't, you know, don't. I give good hugs. Isn't that? No, no, no. I just... That's just the kind of person I am, I love. So it can be a little bit off-putting if you think for a second that God's love is not somehow a response to something about you. And in fact, I mean, obviously, it's the exact opposite. He has every reason to push away. So when I say God's love is free... I don't mean that it is free of cost. What I mean is the Father's love is a free act. It may be initially off-putting, but it shouldn't be. It should be 
incredibly freeing. Christ's coming to reveal that love is a free act, chosen, done by the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He didn't have to do it. If he had not sent his Son, or we could go back, if God hadn't created anything, he would still be loving. His love is not dependent on you or creation or anything. He would still be love because that's who God is. Some of you, many of you, perhaps, maybe all of you at one time or another, you, you need to hear this. You need to hear this because potentially you're weighed down by one of two ideas. At best, you're weighed down by this idea that the Father loves you because of Jesus. I mean, it doesn't sound too bad, right? The Father loves you because of Jesus. Okay, well, let me put it the darker side of it. Maybe this is the way that most of us, right in the back of our heads, this is what we hear. Or this is what we think. That somehow the Father's primary disposition toward you is one of disdain. I know some of you have that dark voice in there. Right? He doesn't really like you. Some of you are weighed down by this idea that the only reason that the Father puts up with you is because of Jesus. What I want to highlight here is that's as wrong-headed as it, as wrong-headed as it could be. The Father's love comes first. And we could say it this way. Why do we have Jesus? Because your father loves you. That's his free love. He sent his son because he loves you. Your father doesn't disdain you. Your father doesn't put up with you. Your father, here, here, we have a very clear declaration in concrete, right? We can hold on to. The expression of his love is clearly presented in his son. Paul says this in the latter part of Ephesians 2. For through him, that is Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access through Christ in the Spirit to the Father. That was the point. Your Heavenly Father, people of God, loved you and wanted you. 
in his presence. Your heavenly father, people of God, loves you and wants you in his presence. And it is because he loves you that he sent his son to bring you there. As you reflect on Christmas, for however long you do, reflect on this, the Father's love, shown to you so clearly through the greatest gift that he could have given his son. Let's pray together.